Pull out your Bible. Something to take notes with this morning. Everybody say bye, kiddos. Amazing. I think I heard rumors that we added another kids class to the adult worship this week. That happened? It was awesome. They broke the mics. It was their fault. Just kidding. All right, pull out your Bible. Take out something to take notes with this morning. You can open up your Bibles to Malachi chapter three. Malachi chapter three. We are starting a new series this morning, and the crowd went crazy. <laughs> We're starting a new series this morning. We're going to be doing this for the next couple of weeks. I can't decide where to put my water. It's like, oh, what do I do with my hands? Um, we're starting a new series this week called I Think About Money a Lot. Because I do. And I don't know about you, but, but I, I would say that it might be fair for all of us to, to say, yeah, you know, I, I think about money a lot. And I, I asked a couple people this week, hey, I'm, we're starting a series called I Think About Money a Lot. Do you think about money a lot? And I had a few people like, uh, no, not really. And then I asked them a few follow-up questions and it was like, see, yes, you do. It's like, I think about not thinking about it, like ignoring it, and all my issues will go away, so I don't think about it, but I'm really thinking about it, you know. I think about money a lot, and uh, we just came off of a series called Cultural Architects, where we talked about a lot of conversations going on in our culture, and basically these next three weeks is, we could sort of tag it onto that, but this is more the conversation that goes on in yourself, you know, because we think about money a lot, and the Bible talks about money a lot. God talks about money a lot. Jesus, when he was on earth, talked about money a lot, uh, really more than anything. I read something that it's kind of didn't seem like it was even possible that it was true, but it said something like one out of 10 verses in the Gospels refers to money or possessions, which I thought, wow, that's a lot. Not one out of every 10 words I say is about that, I don't think. But God has this really on his agenda to speak to us about money. He, he talks about giving money. He talks about spending money. He talks about saving money, how to invest money. He talks about taxes. Like Jesus talks a lot about money. The Bible talks a lot about money. And God talks a lot about money because we think about it a lot. In case you think you don't, God only talks about the things that are going to help you out. And you think about money a lot. And so he talks about money a lot. And throughout Jesus' life, Jesus made a handful of different statements that were really bringing clarity to why he came, why he came as the Son of God in the flesh to reveal himself to us. He came, he said things like, I came to reveal the Father. He came so that we could see God. That's something that Jesus said that he came to do. He said that he came to destroy the works of the devil. And I like that one, because I do. Sounds real strong. I feel like that's preacher language, right? Like he destroyed the works of that devil. We need the organ up here with Karis. If we're gonna say that one. And in John chapter 10, verse 10, Jesus makes another one of his here's why I came statements. And he contrasts his purposes for humanity and his purposes for you and your life. He contrasts those with the purposes of the devil for, for you and for humanity and for your life. And Jesus says this. He refers to the devil uh, as the thief in this scenario. And he says, the thief comes only only, which is strong language. The thief comes only to steal, kill, and destroy. And he contrasts this when he says, I came, Jesus, I came so that you may have life and have, have it abundantly. Jesus contrasts the thief, he only comes in your life to steal, kill, and destroy. It's not sometimes if the devil's talking to you, there's a 100% chance he's trying to steal from you, kill you, or destroy you. And Jesus contrasts it and says, in the same way, when I'm speaking to you, there's a 100% chance I'm leading you into life and life abundantly. And so every time God speaks about money, he's trying to lead you into an abundant life. This is Jesus's agenda when it comes to all of his talking about money. He wants to help you live your life in control of your money instead of being controlled by your money. That's God's agenda for you because it's really hard to follow Jesus when you're controlled by something else. And he says, I came to give you life. I want you to be free to follow me, which means you need to be out from under control of anything else in your life. And God can see right through every single one of us, no matter how hard we might try to ignore it, especially because it feels like the good Christian thing to say, I'm not controlled about money. I don't ever think about money. I'm a person of faith. You know, I don't think about money. And God's like, yes, you do. And I want to help you live free so that you can follow me and experience and walk into this abundant life. 
That is God's agenda for you. In Matthew 6, chapter, or chapter 6, verse 21, Jesus expands this thought. He talks about this need that we have as humans, to a need that we have to master money in our lives. We need to be the master of our money. And, and in the broader sense, he, he's talking about the specific place or, or maybe the places money ought not to have in our life. We need to master our money. We need to, we need to tell our money what place it has in our life, not let our money tell us what its place is in our life. In verse, 20, or verse 21 of Matthew chapter six, he says, for where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. And we talk about this almost every week during give and take. This is um, something that if you've been in church, you've heard it a lot before, but just because you've heard it a lot doesn't take the power out of it, doesn't take the truth out of it. That's an incredibly strong statement for Jesus to draw that type of connection between where our money is and where our heart is. He says they're so intertwined that they're actually in the same place. And he expands the thought a few verses later in verse 24. He says, no one can serve two masters for either he will hate the one and love the other or he will be devoted to one and despise the other. You cannot, you cannot, no matter how hard you try, you cannot serve both God and money. Jesus is saying there's this massive connection between your heart and your wallet. And he says, you will serve one or the other. There, there's not like an option in all of this. You're going to serve God or you're going to serve money and you need to be intentional about which one of those two that you're going to serve. It comes down to your choice. It comes down to your intention, but you do need to take control over who and what you are serving in your life. Because again, Jesus wants to lead us into life and life abundantly. Over the next couple of weeks, we're gonna talk about three, sort of three different categories of money that are in your life. Um, it may or may not hit every dollar that you possess, I don't know, but we're gonna hit about, we're gonna hit on three different categories. And this morning, kind of the subtitle for part one of our series, I think about money a lot, is the money that you return to God. That's the category we're gonna talk about this morning, the money that you return to God. It's the money that you have, it's, the mon it's money that, that God has given you that you then return back to him. The Bible word for this that you've probably heard before is the word tithe. We're talking about the tithe this morning. And, you, you know, I don't know where you come from, what your church background is, if you grew up in church or not. Um, but in, in, the, in the word tithe, you may or may not be really clear, familiar on what that is, which is why we're going to talk about what the tithe is, what is the practice of the tithe. Because the, the word tithe has a specific definition, and it would help us to understand what that specific definition is as we jump into it this morning. The word tithe does not just mean like any money that you give in church or any money that you give to charity or anything like that. As you, as you read through the Bible, the tithe is specifically defined as the first 10% of your income or your profit or your increase, as the Bible uses a lot, that the first 10% of your income or profit that is given back to the house of God, given back to what God is doing. That's the specific definition of the tithe. And tithing, as you look through the scripture, it's, it's for everyone and it's the same for everyone. It's this standard 10%, the first 10%, that God gives. It's not just giving money in general, it's giving the first 10% of what God gives you back to God. That's what God talks about when he talks about the tithe, this money that you have that you return to God. And before we go any further, I just wanna be really clear that like our church is doing amazing financially and I'm not asking you to give anything in the end. There's no debt, we, don't, we owe nobody money on the entire planet and so we're doing great. So that's not what this is about. Um, you know, many of you give regularly, many of you tithe regularly. I'm sure many of you don't do either one of those things. I don't know who gives or who doesn't give or how much anybody gives in this church other than me. So this isn't about Antioch. This isn't about any of that. This message is not because I need your money or want your money or any of those sort of things. This is a message about following Jesus. And it's a message about being free to participate in his plans and purposes, not only in your life, but in what he is doing in the bigger God story in all of humanity on the earth. That's what this message is about. So I just wanted to get that out of the way. You can loosen up your grip on your wallet a little bit this morning. Some of you are like, oh, I know how this goes. This is one of those lock the doors until we hit X amount type of moments, isn't it? 
praise the Lord. <laughs> We're not doing that. We're going to spend most of our time this morning working through Malachi chapter 3 uh, that many of you turn to. If you don't have a Bible, there's one under the seat in front of you that you are more than welcome to use, keep, give away, read, do whatever you want with it. Uh, these verses in Malachi chapter 3 are some of the more popular verses uh, in church, I think, about tithing. They're really clear, and that's why we're talking about them. And um, as we make our way through a few verses in Malachi chapter 3 this morning, I want to spend our time making kind of four points about the tithe. So if you're a note-taker, point person, there's going to be four of them this morning. We're going to start in verses 6 through 7 of Malachi chapter 3. God is speaking to his people and he says this, for I, the Lord, do not change. Therefore, you, O children of Jacob, are not consumed. Very interesting that God makes some interesting points here right off the bat. He says, for I, the Lord, don't change. And he says, that's why I haven't consumed you, because <laughs> I still love you, even though you're acting crazy. And that's good news, regardless of the tithe for the moment. I just want you to know that the Lord does not change. You might change, and the way you pursue him might change. What you believe about him might change. But the Lord loves you. He does not change. Okay, I thought that was going to be encouraging to more than just me. But <laughs> verse 7 says, for the, for, From the days of your fathers, you have turned aside from my statutes, and you have not kept them. Return to me, and I will return to you, says the Lord of hosts. But you say, God's saying again, but, but you would say back to me, people, how shall we return? God starts his kind of introduction to this chunk of verses by underscoring, like we already said, the, the fact about God that he does not change. And that is good news for us, that God is a God who does not change. That is his first sentence. I, the Lord, do not change. And then he says this other main point of what he's trying to talk about in this statement. He's saying, I don't change, and you have walked away from me. He's talking to his people. He's making clear who he is and what he wants to talk about. I don't change, and we need to talk about the fact that you have walked away from my statutes. He says that you've walked away, they've, they've always been walking away. He says, from the days of your fathers, you have turned aside. So this is like a forever thing, like it's always been like this. You guys keep doing this. You ever kept doing something? God's still faithful and he does not change. And God says, you walked away from my statutes forever, which means the statute that he wants to talk about is a forever thing. It's not a new thing he's talking about. It's not a, a fresh introduction of something. He's saying there's something that has always been a part of, a there's something that's always been a statue and you've kind of always not done it. <laughs> but I don't change, so that's why you're not consumed. <laughs> he doesn't change. So what's happening here is that the God who does not change is holding his people accountable to a statute that has always existed. He doesn't change, and there's a statute that has always existed. And, and we see this evidence in Scripture when he, as he begins to talk about the tithe. He hasn't mentioned it yet. He's about to, spoiler alert. Um, so he's, he's talking about the tithe with his people. And if, as you look through the, the bigger story of Scripture on the whole, you, you see that this is true, what God's saying. That this is not some new statute that he's coming up with here in Malachi 3. But in fact, that this, this statute of honoring God with the first of what he gives to his people goes all the way back. The first time we really see it is, like, is back in Genesis chapter 4 with Cain and Abel, who are Adam and Eve's sons. So it goes all the way back to like the, the very first family ever. So you don't get more like forever than that, right? So you go all the way back to Genesis chapter 4 and you see this statute being lived out that we, we, we ought to honor God with the first of what he gives back to us. And that, so starting in Genesis chapter 4 and then continuing and unfolding as the story of God's purposes continue to develop throughout the Bible and throughout history, you see that God puts in this statute with his people of honoring him with the first of what he gives them. I missed something. I didn't tell you what the first point was, did I? Did that tell you up there? Point number one, tithing is normal. <laughs> That's what all this was supposed to be under. So you can go back in your notes and then we'll... <laughs> tithing is normal, is what God is saying. 
The God who doesn't change is keeping them to a statute that has always been. Tithing is normal, is, God, is this point that God is making. And God, in, here in Malachi chapter three, he's not just making the point that tithing is normal, he also goes on to explain why tithing is normal, which I'm so thankful for. God doesn't always owe us a why, but it sure is awesome when he gives it to us. And I don't know if you've noticed this, but sometimes I wanna ask God why about something because it seems a little like, eh, I don't know if I feel real good about that. Like, how does that line up with God? But it seems that every time God gives a why, it sure makes a whole lot of sense. And I wonder if there's some whys maybe that God doesn't give us that we should stop assuming aren't gonna be good whys if he were, give them to, if he were to give them to us and we just start understanding and walking by faith and giving God the benefit of the doubt that the other hundred whys you gave me were all really good whys and these three whys that I don't have, you probably have a good why behind it. You just don't owe it to me, so I'm not gonna hold it against you. Anyways. God gives us the why behind why tithing is normal. He's, he finishes his statement this, like this, return to me and I will return to you, says the Lord of hosts. Return to me and I will return to you. This is how God is pulling back the veil on the heart and the purpose and the core of not just the tithe, but why the tithe is normal. Because at the core of tithing, tithing isn't about giving money to God. It's about relationship with God. God's saying, you've been holding this back. I, I, I'm not, I'm, he didn't even start off by saying, bring the money. He starts off by saying, bring you. Return to me and I will return to you. See, your, your tithe does put funds behind what God wants to do in the world, but that's not why God created the tithe. It's not why God created giving. Like God can do anything he wants whenever he wants with whatever he wants to do it with. Like God doesn't need us to fund his ministry, right? Like he's God. He like created everything out of his mouth. I'm sure he could create whatever dollars that I don't give out of his mouth too or, or anything else. But, but God does use our tithe, which is fun. He, he uses our tithe and he uses what we give, but giving and tithing really isn't actually for God. It's for you and it's for me. God put tithing into the normal rhythm of life for me, because tithing isn't just the normal rhythm of giving to God, it's a rhythm of giving you to God. It's a rhythm of giving me to God. Because like Jesus said, me and my money are pretty closely attached to each other. And he says, I want you, I want, I want a rhythm of you giving me, or you giving yourself to me, because God wants relationship with us. That's the core of who he is. It's the core of everything he instructs us to do is he's opening up the doors to relationship with him. And what God does with your tithe does not come close to all that God wants to do with you. I want to say that again. What God does with the tithe, with your tithe, however big or small you think your tithe is, whatever God does with that, because he will do something with it, but whatever he does with that does not come close to comparing to what he wants to do with you. It's so much bigger than just the money. Number one, tithing is normal. It's a rhythm in the midst of our crazy lives of returning to God because he wants to be in relationship with us. Tithing is normal. Number two, tithing is a test. Tithing is a test. Here in verse eight, we'll continue. Will man rob God? He continues. Yet you are robbing me. But you say, how have we robbed you? In your tithes and contributions. So God continues his kind of monologue here as he's discussing it to his people. He says, would you rob me? And people are like, whoa, heck no, I wouldn't do that. How, how are we doing that? He says, you're robbing me by, by holding back the tithes and the contributions. We've already defined kind of what the tithe is, the first 10%, but, but why? Why is, why is the tithe 10%? If you look through the scriptures, maybe you've heard stuff like this before, but it seems that, that God oftentimes puts meaning behind numbers. So you, you'll hear a, a lot of numbers like three or seven and things like that. And 10 is a number that comes up a lot in the Bible, and it's consistently, it consistently comes up in the scenarios where there's a test. 10 is this number of testing. 
Like, uh, if, if you look at the, the 10 plagues, God was testing Pharaoh's heart 10 times with 10 different plagues. God gives his people 10 commandments. Jesus tells a parable in Matthew about a test, and he uses the illustration of 10 virgins who had their 10 lamps. So there's a lot other examples, of, a lot more examples of this, but 10 is this number of testing. So the tithe is 10% because it's a test. And like I said, I don't know where you're coming from on the conversation of tithing. Like you might not even be a church person and you're like, yeah, why, what's with the baskets and the money thing? And you know, or you might be in church and you might be like, yeah, this is totally a thing. You might have PTSD from tithing <laughs> sermons. I don't know where you're coming from this morning. So we're gonna try to cover everything. I'm trying to do a lot here this morning. And I know the one question and conversation that comes up when we talk about the tithe is like, is it actually still biblical or, or is it, wasn't that just part of the law? Like, do we still have to do that? Is that still something that God is asking of us and requiring of us? And like we talked about already, going back to Genesis chapter four, and there's other examples of it, tithing was in place way before the law was in place. It wasn't introduced with the law. And and then after the law and after Jesus, Jesus refers to tithing in Luke 11, 42. He's having a conversation with some Pharisees, some really uh, uppity church people who who they brag a lot about. They don't just tithe off their increase. They're like listing off how they tithe about like everything and which is fine and everything. But basically they're saying that that's a reason why they can be a jerk. because they like think they're better than everybody because they do this like extreme tithing thing and Jesus is not happy about their attitude. And so he talks to them and he's talking to them about their attitude and in Luke 11:42 he's he's rebuking them and he tells them basically, "Okay, cool. So you tithe. You tithe off of your increase and all your spices and your flour and all that kind of stuff. That's great and you should do that, but you should also not be a jerk." Just because you tithe doesn't mean you can be a jerk. And so he says, the first you should do, like you should tithe, but you should also do the other stuff, like be nice and just and merciful. It doesn't give you a right not to do these things. So the tithe is not just a conversation that happens within the law. But I think when we think about the the tithe, there's kind of a bigger conversation about this question of, isn't that just a part of the law or do we have to do that? Is that even if it were only a part of the law, it doesn't necessarily make it void for today. Um, like there were rules that, that there's lots of things in the law that Jesus fulfilled. He said, I came to fulfill the law. I came to fulfill the requirement of righteousness that you must have if you want to be in relationship with God. That's what the law was. God was painting the picture clearly, saying, if you want to be in relationship with me, I am holy and I do not change. So if you want to be in relationship, this is what holiness looks like. And it's a brutal list, right? Have you ever looked at it? Okay. It's a brutal list, you know? And Jesus came to say, I came in to fill the righteousness gap between you and the law, these requirements for righteousness. But there are these statutes that that aren't about us being the righteousness that God requires. They're statutes that are laying the groundwork for what relationship looks like. So Jesus came to fulfill so many of these rules, but there are still statutes in, in, in the law, or there's guidelines in the law that are, aren't just rules, they're more descriptions about how life works or how the universe works. What I'm trying to say is like, if you look at something like the Sabbath, you know, taking one day off, t- 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 resting on the seventh day, that's not so much a rule as it is a statement about how things work. Things need rest. We need rest. Machines need rest. Like, it's just a part of how God created the universe. And so him putting it in the law wasn't introducing something new. He's clarifying, hey, this is just how it works, so you should fall in line with how this works because I made the whole thing so I kind of understand. So that's what, I, that's what I'm trying to say is kind of these difference between rules and statutes. And if you look at the Ten Commandments, these aren't just rules, you know? Like if they were just rules, you know, just because the ten, one of the Ten Commandments is do not murder, do not commit adultery, doesn't mean that grace gives, us the, grace gives us the right to now go do those things because it's under the law, so it doesn't matter anymore. That's not how grace works. That's not how it works. Tithing isn't just a rule. God is saying it's, you, you haven't followed a statute and the tithe itself, it's not just a rule, it's a test. 
That's why it's not a void. That's not why it hasn't gone away because I don't know if you've noticed, but money hasn't gone away. And I think about money a lot. And God's saying this tithe is a test. It's, it, it's, a, it's a test. And, and I'm not sure if this happens like with your kids. Maybe this would help. It was helping me as I thought about it. It's a test because like when, when I call my kids, if we're outside in our garage or outside in our yard, and I'm like, hey, Smith, come over here. And sometimes he doesn't come. So I'm working on my parenting thing. Don't judge me. Sometimes I call my kids and I, and I ask them to come close to me because I want to tell them something or we need to do whatever or whatever. And parents, you, sometimes you call your kids. Are we on the same page here? Okay. Sometimes you call your kids and sometimes they don't come. Okay, cool. Not just me. Sometimes Smith will hear me call him and instead of running to me, he'll run away to like some toy or something that I've given him. And when he runs away from me to the thing that I've given him, I'm not like mad or heavy handed necessarily, but like there's distance now between me and my kids. It's not because I'm punishing them. It's not because I got really angry and I'm like, oh yeah, go away. That's what I meant. You know, like there's just distance because they didn't come to me. They went to something else. And that is this test that happens with the tithe. It's a test of my heart. It's a test of your heart. And it's a test that, that I take and that you take and we take every time we make money. We take this test. And the test is this, will you trust in the God that provides or will you trust in what God provides? Will you run to the Father or will you run to the toy? Because <laughs> he's calling you close and he has more in store for you than just the toy. He wants to be in relationship and he's implemented this test of our hearts Every time that we make money, we take this test. What, what am I gonna prioritize? What am I gonna trust in? What am I gonna choose? Am I gonna choose the God who provides or am I gonna choose what God provides? Tithing is a test. It's a test for us. We're gonna read the rest of the verses now. We also see that uh, the tithe is actually this invitation that God gives us to test him as well. It's a test that goes both ways. And this leads me into my third point that tithing is a blessing. Tithing is a blessing. Verses nine through 14, God goes on, you're cursed with a curse for you are robbing me, the whole nation of you. Bring the full tithe into the storehouse that there may be food in my house. And here is where we get to mutually test him. He says, thereby, meaning when you bring in the tithe, thereby you put me to the test. He says, put me to the test, says the Lord of hosts. The God who does not change looks at you and says, come, put me to the test in this. Put me to the test, says the Lord of hosts, if I will not open up the windows of heaven for you and pour down for you a blessing until there is no more need. Try me, says God. Try me. I wish you would put me to the test in this. Verse 11, he continues, I will rebuke the devourer for you so that it will not destroy the fruits of your soil and your vine in the field shall not fail to bear, says the Lord of hosts. Then all nations will call you blessed for you will be a land of delight, says the Lord of hosts. Tithing is a blessing. Tithing is a blessing. There's some really strong language here in these verses. I don't know if you saw that part. Uh, and again, I don't know, you might, you might be like me, you might not be like this, but sometimes you're acting kind of crazy and you just need to step into your life and tell you, hey, you're acting kind of crazy. You don't need them to like beat around the bush or anything. You just need somebody to call you, you know, and like say it like it is. And that's what God's doing here. Like there's sometimes strong language sort of feels offensive, but sometimes it's exactly what you need. And it brings really good clarity. And that's what God does here in these verses. There's some strong language here in these verses, uh, but, but that's good because God's giving clarity through this strong language. He starts off that chunk that we just read saying, you are cursed with a curse for you are robbing me, the whole nation of you. This is another one of those verses where we can be like, dang, God, chill. Like, why you need my money so bad? Why are you getting so mad at me? God's got kind of an attitude. God's angry. God doesn't like me if I don't give. Well, how could a God like that be loving? Anybody ever gone down the snowball of thought processes like that? So he says, you're cursed with a cursed. You're cursed with a curse for you are robbing me, the whole nation of you. And it's just like that illustration I just gave with me calling my kids. God is not saying you didn't tithe. So I put a curse on you. He didn't say you didn't tithe. 
And so I got mad at you and put a curse on you. He, he's saying that you didn't tithe, and so you put yourself under a curse. So like when my kids run away, it's like if I'm in the garage and I ask them to come in and they run out onto the driveway and I say, hey, you didn't come and now you're on the driveway. I didn't throw them out on the driveway. They just went out there. That's just how it is. You're just not in the garage. You're on the driveway. And that's what God's saying. He's saying, I've called you close. You, you, you've been ignoring this statute. I'm asking you to come close to me because I'm over here in the garage, but you're over there in the driveway and it's raining and you're getting wet. I'm not making it rain on you. I didn't dunk you in the pool. You ran away. You're under the rain. We making sense here? You are under a curse, God says. He's saying this is just the consequence of a choice that you've made. By not coming close to me, you have volunteered yourself to be under this curse. And we can't get mad at God for that. Smith can't look back at me and be like, why are you pouring water on my head? It's like, dude, you ran outside when it's raining. <laughs> I told you not to, but you did. It's kind of like if you get mad at, if you rob a bank and then you get mad at the judge for sending you to prison, it's like, you kind of signed up for this. <laughs> like when you make a choice, you're volunteering yourself for the consequences of that choice. Am I right? And God's clarifying, this is the consequence of the choice that you've made. I didn't throw it at you. I'm just saying, this is how it happened when you decided to do this. So in an effort for God to lead us into freedom, God is making it really clear some of the bondage that we subject ourselves to. It's helpful to know that. So verse nine is strong language and it can be really offensive and all that stuff, but don't get so offended by verse nine that you miss verse 10 and 11 and 12 because there's a lot of good stuff and God's not done talking. In verse 10, God continues his very strong and very clear language in explaining again, not just, not just what this is supposed to look like, but why it exists, why God has put this, this blessing into our lives. God makes it very clear what his bigger goal is in all of this in verse 10. He says, bring the full tithe into the storehouse that there may be food in my house and thereby put me to the test as the Lord of hosts if I will not open up the windows of heaven for you and pour down for you a blessing until there is no more need. That's God's goal for you and for the planet. That's on God's heart, no more need. Sounds incredible, no more need? God's saying, I put this thing in place because that's, that's our end goal. God say, my end goal isn't that you give me 10%. My end goal is that we see the world and the people of God and we get to bless the world around us with no more need. That's what we're going for. And he's saying, I'm not just gonna, I don't just wanna take care of no more need through your tithe, but when you tithe, it opens up more of the blessing on you. So it's not just, I'm gonna take away need by using your 10% to bless somebody else or bless some need. I'm gonna use the 10%, but I'm also gonna do more with that 90%. I'm gonna make that 90% go farther than it would have gone without me. He's saying, this is the goal that we're shooting for. I want to go for no more need. He wants to use you. He wants to use us to funnel that kind of provision, not just in your life, but, but for the world around you. God wants to funnel no more need type of provision to the planet through his people. But we have to be able to be trusted. We have to be able to be trusted that when God brings us increase. We're not gonna keep it all to ourselves. And we need to be trusted that when God gives us increase, we're not gonna forget God and just run to the increase. Because God wants to pour out blessing. And in verse 11, he explains that the blessing is about this so much more. I will rebuke the devourer for you so that it will not destroy the fruits of your soil. Your vine in the field shall not fail to bear, says the Lord of hosts. This is connected to that blessing, everything that he's talking about, the curse that he says you're under. He's saying, when you're stepping away from me, you're volunteering for this curse. And it seems that this curse, he, he, he likens it to kind of a, a devourer or, or, or plants not bearing the fruit that they should. And he's saying the, the part that you're keeping isn't as fruitful as it could be because it's vulnerable to some things that are protected when you come under my covering. And if you'll bring it under my covering, We'll see more happen with what you already have. Test me in this. Test me in this. 
and see if I won't open up the doors of heaven, rebuke the devourer, make your vine bear the fruit, says the Lord of hosts who does not change. When we get distracted from God and we distance ourselves from him, we remove ourselves from the protection of his blessing. That's again what he means when he says, you're you're under this curse, you have stepped out from under my covering. And he says, I'm putting in this normal rhythm for you to pass this test so you have a normal rhythm of stepping into the blessing. That's why he started off saying, return. Return to me. Return to me, return to my presence, return to my covering, return to my blessing, return to my purposes. You've gotten distracted by the things I gave you and you've gotten distracted from the things I've provided for you. Return to me, return to me. And and not only will will you benefit when you return to God, not only is it a blessing that, that when we tithe that we bring ourselves back to God, I can't bring my tithe without bringing me with it, right? Like not only is it a blessing that, that when I do this, that I benefit by the blessing of coming in contact with God, coming under the covering of God, that is absolutely a blessing for me, but there's also the blessing that now by doing this, I also get to participate in what he's doing. I don't just come under his covering, I become part of the team. And I get to partake and participate in the things that he is doing, not just in my life, but in the world around me. It is a blessing. It is a blessing to come to God and return back to him just 10% of the first of what he gives me. Live under the blessing of God and participate in his plans and purposes in the earth. It's a blessing to see God do way more with my 90% than I could ever try to do with my 100. It's a blessing. And for our last point about the tithe this morning, we're gonna turn from Malachi 3, go back farther to Exodus chapter 13. Exodus chapter 13. And the last point that I wanna talk about this morning about the tithe is that the tithing is first. The tithing is first. Tithing is normal, it's a test, it's a blessing, and it's first. Tithing isn't just 10%, it's the first 10% of our increase. And all through scripture, we see this principle of first in relation to God. Way, Way more zoom, way out from money for a second. We see this principle of first when it comes to God. What I mean is that there's this reality that is made very clear and evident through all of scripture that God is first in all things. God is preeminent in all things. He is the firstborn of creation. He was before anything. He's above anything. God is first. When it comes to God, God's first. And and it's true whether you believe it or not, whether you act like it or not, like whether or not I put God first in my life or not, God's first. Like my beliefs, my choices don't change anything about God. God is first, period. Whether I fall in line or not, amen? Like your beliefs and choices don't change God. He is God who does not change. God is first. God is first. And when it comes to living a life of faith that pleases God, faith requires that we recognize God first. And when we put God first in our life, and we would all agree with that, like it's good to get up and spend time with God. It's good that we prioritize the kingdom of God in our life. It's good that we put God first because there is this principle that is true about God and the kingdom that God is first. So I ought to agree with him on that. So when it comes to the tithe, it's not just 10% of your income, it's the first 10%. Because this isn't just about the money, it's about the faith. Because 10% isn't what enacts the blessing. Faith enacts the blessing. And it doesn't take faith to see if there might be 10% left over. It's like it just hurt somebody's feelings. We're just going to read Exodus chapter 13, verses 1 and 2. It says this, The Lord said to Moses, Consecrate to me all the firstborn. Whatever is the first to open up the womb among the people of Israel, both of man and of beast, is mine. Is mine. I underlined that in my Bible because that's some strong language. God is talking about it. We see this principle of first in Exodus 13 as God talks to his people. He says, The firstborn of all your people, of all your animals, He's not saying, like, just come give it to me because that's what I'm requiring. He's saying, it's mine. Making a statement of what is currently reality. 
says, it is mine. So this verse echoes language that we see all through Malachi 3 that we were working through earlier when God also used some very strong language. Here he says, the firstborn is mine. In Malachi 3, God uses the language of robbing him, right? Like robbing him, which is intense. In, in, in other words, what he's saying is when we keep the first from God, we aren't keeping what is ours from him. We're keeping what is his from him. It's why there's, there's no language in the Bible when we talk about the tithe. There's no language about offering the tithe. There's sort of two options that we see in Scripture when it comes to the tithe. You either bring it or you steal it. It's not giving. It's not giving or, or keeping because it's not really ours. And I can't give or keep what's not mine. I either bring it or I steal it. That the first isn't just for God, the first belongs to God. And this is, this is so much bigger than money. There's, there's this principle that, that we see all throughout Scripture, this reality of God. And we'll, we'll dig more into it as we read verses 12 uh, through 13 here in Exodus chapter 13 as well. So picking up here in verse 12, he says, You shall set apart to the Lord all the first that opens up the womb. All the firstborn of your animals that are males shall be the Lord's. Every firstborn of a donkey you shall redeem with a lamb, or if you will not redeem it, you shall break its neck. Okay. Every firstborn of man among your sons you shall redeem. I escaped the broken neck. Okay, so this is kind of crazy, but stick with me because we're, we're, there's good stuff in this. Can we, can, we go, can we make it through this whole sacrifice, redemption, breaking next thing? Okay, so... God continues, he's talking about the first. You heard it. he's talking about the first of their livestock, which was basically their money and their way of life. And he's talking about the first of their increase. So whether it's, whether it's children or whether it's livestock, he's saying that is mine. So, and it makes this point about the first that belongs to him. He says, the first of what they have must either be redeemed or sacrificed. Okay, either must be redeemed or sacrificed. So what I mean is the firstborn of the clean animals, he talks about the lamb, like that's a clean animal. He says the firstborn of that should be sacrificed. But then when it comes to unclean animals like a donkey, that one needs to be redeemed. So when you have a firstborn donkey, there's a sacrifice of a lamb that redeems the donkey. And then the sons hang in the balance and we're like, oh, we get a lamb. Okay, so he says firstborn son, sacrifice a lamb to redeem the son because we're not gonna kill the sons. So what in the world does this have to do with us today? Why are we talking about this at all, first of all, and with the tithe and all of this business? So we're talking about it because this isn't just about sheep and donkeys and sons and money. It's not at all what this is about. This is about this reality that God is first, this principle of first, that these, there are these truths and principles about God being first that he has implemented through all of history. There are statutes that God has put in place to the rhythm of the universe because it's a prophetic pointer to the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus. It's a prophetic image of the gospel for us. The Bible says that none of us are righteous, not even one of us. We are unclean. We are unclean, and, but that says that God demonstrated his own love for us in this, that he sacrificed his firstborn, clean, pure, and holy son for the redemption of the world. This is what John the Baptist was confirming and prophesying over you and me of all, and all of humanity when he looked up on the road that day and he saw Jesus walking towards the Jordan and he pointed to you and he pointed to me and he said, look, behold, the Lamb of God that takes away the sin of the world, the pure, holy, clean sacrifice from God that redeems all of humanity. God is first and God gave his first first. And when we give God our first, when we give God our first in anything, and when we give God our first in our tithe, it's our faith-filled participation in what God has first demonstrated to us. Amen. And as we close, I just want to read a couple more verses that I feel like I don't have time to share, but it's just so cool. So we're going to go there and worship a short, because, yeah, come on up, bro. Need my mic? No. <laughs> Okay, so God's instructing us to bring our first. We've, we're talking about this is so much bigger than just the tithe, so much bigger than all these things, and God just keeps going. You ever notice how God just keeps going? Okay, there's more. 
Sam, have you ever noticed how God keeps going, amen. God's instructing us to bring our first back to him, and he paints this picture now as we read verses, uh, thir- verses 14 through 15. He's talking about currently with them. Here's what you do with your first. But then he goes on, and now he starts painting a picture of their future, of what it looks like when they start giving their first, bringing their first. God says this in verse 14. When, it, when the time, uh, and when in time to come, your son asks you, what does this mean? You shall say to him by a strong hand, the Lord God brought us out of Egypt from the house of slavery. For when Pharaoh stubbornly refused to let us go, the Lord killed all the firstborn in the land of Egypt, both the firstborn of man and the firstborn of animals. Therefore, I sacrifice to the Lord all of the males that first opened the womb, but all the firstborn of my sons I redeem. God's painting a picture of the future and essentially what he paints this picture of is he's saying, guys, I want you to do all this. You need to bring your first and he's explaining all of this stuff, but he's saying, again, a little bit of a here's why. I wanna paint a picture of the future. Because in Exodus 13, they had just come out of Egypt and God knew that generations from now, there was gonna be generations who never knew Egypt who never knew what slavery was like and now all they were gonna know was profitable ranching business. And, and, and God's saying, time is gonna come maybe this generation, maybe the next generation, but you're gonna start raising up your son to take over the family business. And you're gonna bring him in and he's gonna come home from college for the summer and you're gonna bring him into the business and he's gonna start looking over the books. And at some point, your son is gonna come to you and sit you down and kind of you know, try to be like, okay, hey, dad, so um, this has been awesome. Super pumped about being a part of the business. I've been doing it now for a couple of weeks. I love it, it's been fun. I can't wait to finish my degree and jump into this but there's something I need to talk to you about, Dad. You might not even know that you do this, but I've been looking at the spreadsheets and uh, I've noticed that every time one of our sheep has a firstborn, um, you kill it. You might not know that, but I just wanna bring it to your attention. And then there's kind of something else that's like really doesn't make any sense. When a donkey has a donkey, you kill a lamb. Just wanted to bring it to your attention because like we're in the ranching business <laughs> and uh, like last year you killed 346 sheep. <laughs> God says your son's gonna, basically he's gonna see you bringing your first. And, and it's true for us, like as we raise our kids and you bring them into following God and what it looks like to follow Jesus and participate in the kingdom of God, there's gonna come a time where your kids are gonna notice the check that you're writing to God. And it's gonna look like a lot of money because it's a lot of money, 10% is not a little bit. And sometimes it feels way bigger than that. But God's saying that the time is gonna come where your son asks you, what's the meaning of this? What's with that check? Why are, you, why are you sending that check to church? And he says, this is gonna serve as a testimony to your children. He says, you're gonna need to tell them because they're not gonna know. And in this Exodus, he says, you need to tell them about Egypt. In other words, you need to be able to tell them, son, we weren't always in the ranching business. We weren't always free. And for us, we're gonna be able to tell our kids, kids, like mom and dad weren't always good people. Mom and dad weren't always set on the right trajectory that was gonna help us love each other really well and and love you really well. We weren't always following God. We didn't always know Jesus. We didn't always wake up in the morning like you see us and read our Bibles. We didn't always do that thing. We were captive. We were captive to so many things and we were headed in the wrong direction. But God, with a strong hand, he reached into our captivity and he brought us out like only he could. He set us free. He made us new. We were reborn. He redeemed us with his firstborn son. Therefore, I gladly give. I gladly bring what God has given to us and set us free. I gladly give my life back to Jesus. So your tithe is so much bigger than the money. Because where your money is, there your heart is. And God's saying, return to me, keep your heart with me. Because it's not just about you. He wants to bless you, but he wants to bless the people around you. And he wants your kids, and he wants generations to come to never know what Egypt was like, but to hear the testimony 
of the goodness of God in the midst of it. God is looking for your next generations to never know Egypt, but the testimony of Egypt has to live on. And so we keep our hearts in the provision of God. We keep our hearts rooted in the God that provides, not just in what he provides, amen? We're gonna close as we always do. Why don't you go ahead and stand up? Oh my gosh, it's forever. We're gonna have some of our prayer team up at the front. Uh, just like we always do, they're gonna come on up now and we got a couple of minutes to worship and what we wanna do is just, we always have this rhythm of time at the, end of our, at the end of our services to say, okay, God, I need to respond right now. And I don't know what God has been doing in you this morning, but maybe God's been speaking to you about how he wants you to return to him. It may have something to do with your money, it may have nothing to do with it, I don't know. But that's not the point. The point isn't what I think. The point is, what is God leaning in on you to do this morning? Because no matter what it is, it's him calling you close. And he's inviting you into relationship with him. And we wanna pray with you and, and make sure that, you know, you're at church, you should be able to get prayed for. Whatever is going on in your life, if there's anything that you need to bring to God this morning, then I want you to go ahead and bring that to him this morning. And if you are here this morning and you need financial breakthrough, we wanna pray for that. We wanna pray that God would open up the, the doors of heaven over your life this morning. Don't be embarrassed or doesn't matter what anybody thinks. They don't need to know what all's going on. We just wanna pray with you. If you're having money issues, we wanna pray and believe for that. We're a miracle believing church. And so if you need miracles, let's pray and let's do that. If you're here this morning and you don't know Jesus, you, don't, you haven't experienced the redeeming blood of the sacrifice of Jesus come forward today. Talk to the person who brought you or come up and pray with somebody who's up here. Come and pray and give your life to Jesus and set a new trajectory for your life. It's time to leave Egypt and set a new direction in Jesus' name. Let's pray and let's worship and bring ourselves to God this morning. Lord, we love you and we ask that you would come and move in us now by the power of the Holy Spirit. We're asking that you'd uh, just lead us into the things that we should do to return back to you. If there's any need financially this morning, Lord, we're asking for the open doors of heaven in Jesus' name. Lord, we're asking that you would set us free from financial burden, Lord, that we would trust you with what, we've, what you have given us and that there would be no more need in Jesus' name. We pray over every need this morning, that there would be no more need by the love of Jesus. We're asking that anybody here who's far from you, they would come close right now, that we would all return to you this morning in the name of Jesus.